Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Dr. Carol Francis of Make Life Happen. I have a very interesting person here for you to listen to and to question. Her name is Dr. Katina Kostoulis. Hello, Dr. Kostoulis. Can I call you out here? Hi, Carol. How are you doing? Hello. I'm just oh, fine. Can you, you are going to speak to us. Yeah, beautiful. Your voice sounds beautiful. We're going to talk today about growing spiritual children. And you have done extended research on how we inspire our children to think, to experience, to feel, to choose a spiritual route in their lives as it relates to their children. Um, they will raise in the future as it relates to the way they make decisions about difficult moral conflicts and about the way they conduct themselves in a relationship with God spiritually. And I'm very excited about you presenting today in terms of that as you are an expert in child development, um, in part because many of the listeners uh, that tune in are trying to express themselves spiritually. And so like that has been stifled. They're trying to recapture that in themselves. And so yes. to be able to grow a child spiritually without stifling them is a key central concern. So Dr. Katina Kostoulis, um, would you please uh, let us know who you are first, and All secondly, right. why does this interest to you? Okay, Dr. Carroll. Uh, I'm a developmental psychologist. My training initially was in research developmental psychology. I got my PhD from University of Chicago in that area and then went into clinical child psychology, and I've been um, a child psychologist in private practice for over 20 years, and my interest has been in teaching parents. And as a Greek Orthodox Christian, I've always had an interest in spirituality and how we could teach that to our children, both from a, a theological or spiritual or religious perspective and how the developmental series could help us in that. So that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, one of the things I've appreciated about you always is that you come to these topics because they're near and dear to your heart, and you are a parent, yes? Yes, I am a parent now of an adult daughter of 29 years of age, and it's been a joy and a blessing to raise her, and I've learned through her, and uh, hope someday to become a grandparent and I think that even as a grandparent, we can guide our adult children uh, as they raise their children. Great, beautiful. You have a, a very well-defined uh, model, so to speak, that talks about different parts of spirituality and also how we train children at different ages. Uh, which, which question would you like to direct the audience to? Well, I, I, I like to take a lifespan approach to the spiritual development of children and that's looking at it, how a parent can enrich their child spiritually from even conception through birth, infancy, early childhood, middle and later childhood, adolescence, and then young adulthood. And if we could sort of touch on different ages and stages, I could share a few thoughts about that. That would be wonderful. Where would you like to begin? Well, um, one way to begin would be to look at early childhood, since begin at the beginning. Okay, and great. when we look at spirituality, uh, Orthodox, Greek Orthodox theologians talk about different parts of the soul. One part of the soul that they talk about is the heart. 
Now, the heart has to do with sensations of spiritual joy, love, peace, well-being, security. And that infants in, and young children are in uh, what um, Swiss psychoanalyst and psychologist Jean Piaget call a sensory motor intelligence. So they find spirituality through their senses, often through music, through uh, mother's prayers, the sounds of her voice, the smells of incense, the sights and the sounds of, of church and of spirit. And that's how we foster the spirituality in our young children, through ritual, through stories. And as they get older, this is how we cultivate the heart, through covering our children with prayer, builds the heart inside the child. Uh, the second aspect of the soul is the will, which has to do with delay of gratification, has to do with uh, fasting, also um, doing acts of mercy like sharing, almsgiving. Uh, for example, uh, in a time of, of crisis like Hurricane Katrina, we can cultivate the will in our children by having them donate, say, clothes or toys to help other children that might be in a bad situation or food for the homeless. This act outside themselves cultivates the will where it's not all about me, but they learn how to sacrifice for others. Uh, that way we raise children with um, a sense of community and fellowship, and that, that develops the will. And then uh, a final uh, aspect uh, has to do with the mind, how children reason about right and wrong, and, and that has to do with the conscience, and that children will feel, or all of us will feel guilty or bad when we've done something wrong because the conscience is an aspect of our soul. It's the internalization of the values and the morals of our parents. Mm -hmm. And so at each stage, we want to build on these three parts of the soul. For the young children, they're not at the stage of reason, so we can't really cultivate reasoning until they're in first grade or onward. So in the younger years, it's the sights, the sounds of prayer. That's, That's very important. Do you feel that in your work with children over the last 20-plus years that can tell when a child has a spiritual inclination that is cultivated in the heart, the will, or the mind, or in morality? And can you detect the connection between the way they were raised or the events or traumas in their lives that they did or did not experience. Is there a connection that you notice in the practical work that you do? Oh, absolutely. Um, that um, one of the the largest um, benefits um, for spiritual development or uh, moral development in children is the upbringing they receive from parents in the home. Um, there's a Harvard uh, child psychologist, Dr. Robert Coles, who really looks at the importance of um, observational learning on the development of moral reasoning in children. And um, he um, actually gives a very beautiful example from Tolstoy uh, that he uses in his classrooms with children. And I, I'm going to read this because it's very profound and then oh, yeah. talk about how this could be used with children. Uh, 
just want to quote, the grandfather had become very old. His legs wouldn't go, his eyes didn't see, his ears didn't hear, he had no teeth. And when he ate, the food dripped from his mouth. The son and daughter-in-law stopped setting a place for him at the table and gave him supper in the back of the stove. Once they brought dinner down to him in a cup, the old man wanted to move the cup and dropped and broke it. The daughter-in-law began to grumble at the old man for spoiling everything in the house and breaking the cups and said that she would now give him dinner in a dishpan. The old man only sighed and said nothing. Once the husband and the wife were staying at home and watching their small son playing on the floor with some wooden planks, he was building something. The father asked, What are you doing, Misha? And Misha said, Dear father, I am making a dishpan so that when you and your mother become old, you may be fed from this dishpan. The husband and wife looked at one another and began to weep. They became ashamed of so offending the old man, and from then on seated him at the table and waited on him. Wow. That's a beautiful, beautiful illustration of observational learning. And And Robert Cole's emphasis was that these sorts of moral stories produce what in terms of a child's spirituality? What do they help? Well, they provide uh, a place for children to then discuss the different aspects of the story and to then to begin to grow their reasoning ability about right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, he used this in his curriculum with classroom students to ask them um, to examine and analyze different aspects of this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he found is it was an effective teaching tool for students of all ages in the exercise of their moral reasoning skills. What I found even more astounding, particularly with respect to this topic, was that Robert Coles learned this story from his mother, a Russian Mm -hmm. immigrant, who told him this story as a child, and that this mother who told her son this story had such a profound influence on him that he went on to become a Harvard child psychologist to train others in moral and spiritual development. That is that's beautiful. Interesting how you could be moved at such a young age. And what a perfect illustration that, in a sense, his mother taught him spiritual and conscientiousness for others the same. So it's a great illustration of your whole press, you know, right. presentation. Right. And so from this mother, uneducated mother, who loved Tolstoy, in her mm-hmm. storytelling to her son, what did she produce? A child psychologist doctor that helped many many people so you can see how powerful um, the impact this kind of um, training can have and and can be begun in the home by the mother or the father the grandmother even an older sibling for the children doesn't have to be uh, the mother right any 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 powerful person any caregiving adult, but since more often the mother is home for um, more time with the children, particularly young children, oftentimes the responsibility falls on her. You know, you, have, you bring up so many different ideas inside of me, and the one uh, line right now I, I pick up is how you talk about it in your paper, which I hope is available to the listeners if they try to contact you, because it's a great... Uh, description, very clear description of the things you're mentioning. But in one spot, you do talk about how 
spiritual teaching actually begins at the moment of conception. And you have a quote where you say, a child's upbringing commences at the moment of its conception. The embryo hears and feels the mother's womb. Can you speak more to how primary that relationship is in the womb and just shortly after birth and why that's true that a child, the brain formation, the heart, I think that, that would be such a pivotal time when a child would pick up on their spiritual experience. Okay. Um, um, I can give you a Christian biblical example, first of all, from mm-hmm. a theological point of view. We know okay. in the Bible that when um, Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, uh, uh, her uh, Elizabeth, came to visit her, who was pregnant with uh, John the Baptist, that John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb at the um, um, awareness of uh, his Lord and Savior. Um, How does that happen? It happens through the heart, through the soul, which has, even though it's uh, a fetus, has spiritual awareness and recognition. And Mm -hmm. that's the biblical, if you want to call it, evidence from Mm -hmm. theology. Now, from Mm -hmm. psychology and psychoanalysis, we know that interuterine environment if it's positive and loving, creates a sense of security in children and in adults when they're deeply regressed in analysis. When something has gone wrong in the inner uterine life, we see this in our regressed analytic patients and children in terms of deep feelings of being unloved, unwanted, uh, or their awareness in the womb or in early childhood of their mother's extreme fears of their baby dying or of resentment at having the responsibility of another child. And these can become deep feelings of being unloved, unwanted, and a sense of emotional emptiness um, in children that later can lead to addictive or self-destructive behaviors. So when the child in utero is the mother sings to the child, prays for the child, sends the child emotions of love, and the mother is cherished and protected in her environment by mm-hmm. her family, she's then more able to provide this facilitating and nurturing environment for the child, mm-hmm. which beautiful. cultivates the heart in utero mm-hmm. and covers beautiful. the child. So that's, that's where it comes from. You mentioned um, the power. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Well, um, this is actually work by a Greek Orthodox elder who was a mystic, and he died in 1992. He was the chaplain to a hospital in Athens in Ammonia Square, and he spent 30 years of his life ministering to sick and wounded individuals. He wrote a book called Wounded by Love, and in his section on children's upbringing, he brings this up in interuterine life. I thought it was very beautiful. Um, What he says is, um, I'm going to go on, Uh, if the mother doesn't want the child, if she doesn't love it, then the embryo senses this and traumas are created in its little soul that accompany it all its life. The opposite Mm -hmm. occurs through the mother's holy emotions. When she is filled with joy, peace, and love for the embryo, she transmits these things to it mystically, just as happens to the children that have been born. For this reason, a mother must pray a lot during her pregnancy and love the child growing within her. 
caressing her abdomen, reading psalms, singing hymns, and living a holy life. This is also for her own benefit. She makes sacrifices for the sake of the embryo, so the child will become more holy, but this also grows the mother spiritually. So it's a, it's a um, co- or an intersubjective experience between the soul of the, the mother or the father and the children that grows them both spiritually. I think that we can't really underestimate the powerful connection between a mother with, an int- when a, with a child that's inside of her, that it is uh, simultaneously a deep bond that is DNA survival, um, right. but a deep bond that moves beyond. You're suggesting that those of us that believe in the spiritual domain know absolutely there is a spiritual process taking place that connects mother to child, and tuning into that is a very powerful experience. You mentioned prayer as one of the ways that a child is going to pick up on the mother's spirituality. Well, there is so much wonderful literature now on the power of prayer, prayer praying for our patients, actually was proposed by someone saying that since we have by research determined that prayer actually does change people's lives, are we therefore neglectful if we don't pay for our patients in one fashion or another? And I'm hearing from you that mother's role is to pray. That is essential, um, both in terms of being responsible but in terms of cultivating that connection with a child. But what is that prayer like? What is the heart, the will, the mind of the mother? What is that prayer like? Um, I think each religion has their own methods of praying, but I think it's just the mother's genuine, sending, loving, hopeful caresses to the child mm. when she's with the child and when she's not, asking mm. God to protect the child, to watch over the child to keep the child safe. That would be the beginning. Mm. A dialogue with a dear, good friend about the safety of her child, that's another way. Mm. The um, the experience that you're talking about is so much grown from your Greek Orthodox background. Is that correct? That's correct. And yet at the same time, I'm also hearing you say that in whatever traditions that promote a spiritual consciousness, that it is in those traditions that it is the heart, the mind, the morality, the consciousness. Right. I I believe it's a universal, which is why we can develop it. It's a universal. um, um, We're pre-wired, as we know, in the neuroscience research for spirituality. They've done studies with uh, uh, Buddhist monks where they've actually mapped their brain waves with MRIs when they're reaching a state of what they call union with God. Orthodox theologians call it theosis or oneness with the divine, and you can actually see a difference in brainwave activity in these spiritual states. They've also done this with Trappist monks in the Catholic Church so that our brains are wired to receive or to connect to something beyond us. So um, this is part of our anatomy. I don't know if I'm... Free associating that's, here, but <laughs> yeah, that's beautifully said. And there is a program that I actually did. Listeners are welcome to look to in June when we actually talk about some of that research. It is right uh, amazing and something that we really can't ignore. So thank you for bringing that up. And then 
Um, the I mean, and then on another level, with mm-hmm. I mean, El- uh, Porfirios in Wounded by Love brings this up, but we, this is common knowledge. With even why with a, a a a fetus that really you know has no symbols or reasoning, would it impact in a fetus to send good vibes or good energy to an, mm-hmm. a, a fetus? Uh, they've done studies with plants that were put in a room and were bombarded with beautiful classical music, and those yeah. plants thrived. And when they were sent loving um, by the gardeners or their tenders um, emotions, the plants thrived, whereas the other plants that were uh, put with um, very cacophonous sounds and, and mm-hmm. sent hate and disinterest got sick and died. So if even a plant mm-hmm. is affected by um, this part of the soul, uh, imagine how much more a child would be affected. Oh, absolutely. You have a quote in on, on your page five where it says, when, when she, the mother, is filled with joy, peace, and love for the embryo, she transmits these things to it mystically. And by what you're illustrating, we can almost measure that transmission uh, when we look at what happens to plants, when we look at what happens to the monks when their brain waves are measured. And that experience of joy uh, I love the idea that in uh, much of the Christian teachings there is the idea of inspiration and that the inspiration, whether it's the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the experience of breathing in, inspiring. And another word, enthusiasm, which is the Greek is enthused, like you are pouring in the energy of God, enthusiasm and joy. So these are two emotional states that a mom can have, you're suggesting, that will transform from a heart that might otherwise be neutral, dulled, or actually harmed, instead to be able to resonate with joy, enthusiasm, and love. And that's going to be the basis of all further spiritual experiences if it is within the infancy. Right. And then there's three aspects of the spiritual life, according to the Greek Orthodox tradition. One is purification, and that's where you're cleansing or you're growing and letting go of outmoded forms of behavior. And the next is illumination or inspiration. And we often move from purification to illumination. You know, we, we grow and develop, and then we let go of older ways of being and grow to new ways of being. And then mm-hmm. a final stage, which is harder to reach, is this union or oneness with the divine. You know, and oh, saints reach oh. it, or, you know, hopefully in the afterlife we reach it. And mm-hmm. these are our goals over and over at different levels of our mm-hmm. growth, those three aspects. Let's talk about purification uh, for a moment. As you know, That relates to the idea of moral development and conscience and making the mind having the ability to reason between right or wrong or ultimately choose in a moment of conflict what's going to be in whatever group of people's best interest. And I mean in the positive best interest, not just selfish narcissistic interest. Right, like in adolescence, drug use is one aspect of purification. Mm-hmm. You know, um, helping children think ahead of time before they go to a party, if there's mm-hmm. going to be pot at a party and they're mm-hmm. 13, um, if they reason and discuss you know, what are you going to say if you don't want to smoke the pot at the party? Oh, it's not my drug of choice, make a joke, rather than be caught in the moment with a moral dilemma and then make the wrong choice. Or if you do make the wrong choice, learn from the experience not to repeat it. And that um, the, uh, this kind of thing is going to happen in 
adolescence, uh, and then we protect our children uh, by having uh, had them think through ahead before they're in the situation what they might do. Mm-hmm. How, in terms of that very thing you're saying, I don't know what you've experienced in your 20 years and in my 30 years of watching a culture change as a psychologist. And I was around during Watergate, and I uh, ever since then have watched a moral dilemma where honesty really does seem to be a lost commodity. And um, the experience is power is what is your ultimate goal in life in so much of our culture. We well, we can't go on like this or we're going to destroy ourselves. If you look at the uh, the way uh, the dishonesty in the banking industry, you know, and mm-hmm. the rank selfishness without thinking mm-hmm. of the next guy that or mm-hmm. Columbine, uh, that uh, immoral and unspiritual children are not going to be happy and productive adults. And, mm-hmm. and, we, and this has to change if we want then, to continue to thrive as a society. How and do so, we reach people's moral consciousness in a spiritual way that are hardened? Well, that's why I think the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. We can cover them with prayer and lead by example, but why don't we work with the people we can help, which are the children? Hmm. You know, I think that people can always repent and can always uh, come anew, and that's why we have so many good drug and alcohol programs and, and um, you know, different therapeutic approaches. But if we can head it off at the pass and prevent it, it saves a lot of suffering in the long run. Do you have any theories as to what has happened to cause the moral fabric of a lot of our corporations and banks that are now being run by individuals between the ages of 40 and 60? Uh, has something happened to those leaders where this type of spirituality on the moral purification, illumination level just simply did not take hold? Yeah, well, that's a really complex question. Isn't it? Uh, Yeah, in five minutes or less. I think taking religion out of the schools, which I understand because of the separation between church and state, um, and there's many issues around that, but there was nothing, no values curriculum to replace it. And I think um, Lawrence Kohlberg, I was involved in moral development research in the 70s and 80s, and with uh, Mm. lack of funding, that wasn't really seen as an important emphasis, and I think our culture suffered uh, during the transition. And I think just recently I saw there's a new call for researchers and people to begin to think about how to bring that in um, uh, in a way that is more broad-based that would be received, uh, whatever religion you are, you know? That's, uh, that's interesting to note that we're not the only ones thinking along those lines. I know that when you talk about um, the level of willpower, as it also relates to purification, that it seems that in a society where there's a lot of investment in power, self-power, narcissism, give me pleasure, self-gratification, that truly will and purification uh, as part of a human being's seems to have been skipped over. Is that well, on? look at childhood obesity, which is at its mm-hmm. highest. Uh, okay. There's an aspect right there of a lack of will. I mean, oh. uh, ch- I, mean I, I just lost 90 pounds over the past two years. So oh, I'm, congratulations. I'm a, 
perfect example of someone who whose willpower was out of control. Wow. You know, and from a young age, if we don't teach our children to be fit and to not eat the French fries or to let go of the pizza or to not uh, gratify the impulse immediately, we're not developing children that have a strong sense of will or willpower. And if you're not developed with a sense of willpower, then when you're in a situation of moral temptation later on in life, you don't, you're not able to resist. Well, mm-hmm. I'll just go have an affair. Or, oh, mm-hmm. I'll just look the other way and, and let this deal go down bad in my mm-hmm. banking and then have a bunch of people lose their retirement because there's no accountability. And that's, I mean, it's, uh, you shouldn't starve your children. There's nothing great about fasting mm-hmm. other than it teaches someone some c- restraint and some control. That's and that's beautiful. an important virtue throughout mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And a connection to their spirituality. Right, it, right. It also seems that you also talk about in your article how that relates to generosity and that generosity helps with willpower. It helps. Right, right. That if, we, if, if, we, if we're feeling starved or that we, we don't have enough for ourselves, if we can't let go, then how can we share? And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're a community. We're not alone. Uh, if somebody's starving in our culture, we're the richest country in the world. We shouldn't have the poverty problems we have. Mm, Why is the richest country in the world, or California, one of the tenth largest economies worldwide, why do we have homeless? Because we are not working on the spiritual aspect of community service and helping mm. those less fortunate. Mm. You know, but if beautifully, we, beautifully said. If we, if we could cultivate that and, and demonstrate that both in ourselves, our children will pick it up. You know, we depend on our government to take care of everything, but if we taught each other and our families how to take care of ourselves but how to maybe help someone less fortunate, we would, or it would free our government up. That's beautifful, said. Katina, Dr. Kasulis, how do people contact you? What's your contact on email, on Internet, or um, on phone in terms of your business contact? How do they get in touch with you? Um, well, I have an office line, 310-792-9053. I'm available by appointment in Torrance, California, or I can be reached by email at my email at katinacost, K-A-T-I-N-A-K-O-S-T, at AOL.com. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. So, listeners, do take this to heart. I hope that you leave this program with heart, with your will, with your mind, knowing that every time you enter into a state of, uh, of emotional, mental, and uh, cognitive, willful spirituality around your children, you are growing their character and assisting our entire planet. So thank you, Dr. Castulis. I'll talk to you soon again. Thank you, Dr. Francis. Okay. It's been a Bye-bye. pleasure. Bye. Wonderful.